On this episode of Blue 58, the Packers are below 500 after a dispiriting loss in Foxborough. How did it happen this time? Well, stop me if you've heard this one, but a running back fumbled at a really inopportune time. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. I'm very excited to be with you here for this one. It's always exciting to talk a little bit of Packers football, even if you have to do it after a loss at quarter after 12 in the morning. Could be worse. We fell back this weekend, right? So we get an extra hour of sleep. Oh, wait, that was this morning. Uh, just trying to find a silver lining. Just if you know of a silver lining, shout it out. I'm, it'll it'll find its way to me. What happened in this one? Well, looking back, I predicted the Packers would win 28-24. And I started to feel this afternoon like that was maybe a heart pick more than a head pick. Because the Packers and Patriots kind of lived up to the popular perception of who they are. Popular perception is not always accurate, but I think the Packers have a reputation of a team that gets it in its own way, sometimes gets an Aaron Rodgers way, and the Patriots have a team or have a reputation as a team that they're just going to take care of business and and get it done when the chips are down. And that's kind of how things played out. The Patriots outlasted the Packers and really took advantage of opportunities when they had them. The Packers failed to capitalize when they had their own chances, and the Packers had a few really bad coaching moments. That's that's the what happened. Let's dive into the why happened. So the Patriots really played mistake-free, start to finish. If you look at the big mistakes that the the Patriots made, there weren't a lot. And even when they did make mistakes, they weren't the sort of things that were going to really come back to bite them. And this sounds like something that should be super simple. Just don't beat yourself. Don't make really basic mistakes. But apparently it's harder than it looks because avoiding beating yourself is something supremely advantageous in football. Those unforced errors are really, really awesome to avoid and really costly when you don't. And it's taken the Packers out of games now the past two weeks. Now a fumble isn't exactly the most I guess, pure example of an unforced error, but it's still something that is at least partly within your control. You can control getting the ball punched out or making decisions that put you in a a position where you could fumble the ball, as we saw from Ty Montgomery last week, and the Packers haven't been able to do that. That fumble today was so costly because it it put the Packers in in a, it took points off the board for the Packers, at least in theory. They were in scoring scoring range. They were in field goal range and could theoretically have have scored points. But instead of getting points, the Patriots go down and they score a touchdown and then the Packers go three and out. We'll talk about that in a second. But really, just not beating yourself is so important. And the Packers so far this year really haven't been able to do that. Even look at the games that they've won. They've put themselves in situations where they have to come back. And really, if they hadn't, it would have been as much because they put themselves in a bad spot as anything the other team has done. The Patriots also did a really good job of taking advantage of the Packers' personnel. They did that in a couple ways. First, through pace, uh, just alternating and uh, focusing on getting to the line either quickly or with exactly who they wanted on the field. And how quickly they actually got the snap off. That's something the Packers just haven't been able to do this year. And I think that one's on Aaron Rodgers as much as anybody. Just refusing to get the snap off quickly and allowing defense to time things up. The Patriots didn't do that tonight. They, when they went fast, they went fast and got to the line and got the ball rolling. 
the Packers couldn't keep up, and uh, the Patriots really took advantage when they decided to go to that uh, to that tempo. They also forced the Packers into bad situations with guys that shouldn't be out there, and injuries play into this a little bit, but they really took advantage at times of Josh Jones, Antonio Morrison, and Bashad Breland. The last one particularly, Breland looked like a guy who hadn't played football in about 10 months, which is, I guess, something to be, somewhat to be expected. And he probably was out there a little bit more than the Packers anticipated because of Kevin King's injury. But he looked like a guy who hadn't been on an NFL field in a long time. And that's fine, but the Patriots recognized that and were able to go after him. Kind of one of those, just keep throwing at him and good things will eventually happen for you. And they did start happening for the Patriots. The Packers also did a poor job of taking advantage of opportunities at all. You know, throughout the game, uh, particularly, particularly in the first half, they, they struggled to do that. But throughout the game, they couldn't put the Patriots in. They couldn't make the Patriots pay when the Packers had advantageous opportunities. If you're a believer in momentum, the Aaron Jones fumble is all the evidence that you're ever going to need to confirm your position. Rewind to the situation leading up to that fumble. The Packers had just had a good defensive series where they had weathered that roughing the punter, roughing the kicker. Do you call it roughing the kicker? Roughing the... Robert Tynion got the personal foul. They had weathered that situation, held the Patriots without points on that drive, had Brady confused on a couple of the plays on that drive, they take over on their own six, and they start rolling on offense. Marquez Valdez-Scantling makes a couple big plays, and then Aaron Jones gets the ball punched out. The Patriots go 76 yards for a touchdown in nine plays. The Packers just look deflated, and they go three and out on their next offensive drive. The game is pretty much over from there, and the Patriots put icing on the cake with their next touchdown, making it 31-17. to But really, the game was over after that Jones fumble and the Patriots went down and scored, and the Packers were unable to respond. Again, you can't beat yourself, and the Packers kind of beat themselves there. Aaron Rodgers also left some plays out there tonight, especially in the first half when the Packers had opportunities to either build a lead or keep the game closer. The Packers only scored touchdowns, a touchdown, on one of their five drives in the first half, and on each of the other non-touchdown drives, Rodgers had a bad play, or at least a questionable play, that could have made a big difference. Let's walk through them real quick. The first drive of the game, Packers get down into the red zone, and Aaron Rodgers texts into kind of a weird screen for Randall Cobb on a long third and goal play. It doesn't go anywhere. The Packers have to settle for a field goal. Drive number two, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is isolated in one-on-one coverage. It appears to beat his man on the right side of the formation, and Rodgers just slightly underthrows it. It's incomplete. Could have been a touchdown or at least another long big play. Drive number three, the Packers had a play set up with a lot of options on the left side of the formation, but when there was pressure, Rodgers bailed to the right, even though those options were on the left side. And that, I mean, it's not entirely Rodgers' fault, but it was a situation where he had a chance to make a play and went one way when everybody else was going another way. And speaking of going one way when everyone's going the other, Drive number five, on third and two, the Packers trying to drive to get some points before halftime. Rodgers apparently calls his own number on a third and two play and tries to run the ball for the first down himself, doesn't end up getting it, fumbles the ball, fumbles it forward past the sticks, but due to the rule about fumbles inside two minutes, that doesn't count for anything. So a little bit of an odd situation there, and Rodgers 
at least in part, is to blame for the Packers not taking advantage of opportunities. Coaching also plays a a role in this, and I don't want to spend too much time harping on this because I kind of got the feeling that this is going to be a big deal this week. A lot of people are going to be upset about things that Mike McCarthy does, but this is the sort of game where you really see the difference in just the game management portion of coaching and how coaching can help you get through some of those situations that, uh, that might otherwise be harder to navigate. Red zone in particular has been disappointing for the Packers on the whole this year. And I think drive number four, the one that where the Packers actually did end up scoring a touchdown is a good example of that. Um, a series of three plays the Packers called here were just really, really bad. Uh, just showed a, a, a lack of creativity. First and goal, the Packers call a fade to Jimmy Graham, and he tries to one-hand it, nothing there. Even if he does make the catch there and score a touchdown, a fade is a bad call. Fades are bad. Let's not call fades anymore. The next play, uh, they call a design rollout for Aaron Rodgers to the right. Only two options on that side of the field. And calling a rollout when you're that close to the end zone puts you in a bad situation because you're already dealing with diminished real estate for your quarterback front to back, like from the front of the end zone to the end line. But then by rolling him out by design, you're cutting the field down even further and you're just putting more bodies in that part of the field. And I know Rodgers is good at finding guys that that work open in that situation, but it's not ideal and it's not a great play call. On the next drive, or on the next play, excuse me, um, they kind of do the same thing to the left, not a designed rollout, but Rodgers breaks contained that way and ends up finding Devontae Adams on that side. Still a lot of ISO routes in the end zone. And just because Adams uncovers and they can score a touchdown there doesn't mean it was a good call. That was that was frustrating to me. Then the last third down of the game, the Packers are are down 14. So let's not oversell things here. This wasn't like, I don't know, it wasn't like they were trying to tie the game down inside the five-yard line on the last play of the game or something. But the Packers are, uh, they've got, it's not, excuse me, not a third down, a fourth down. Fourth and four. Um You've got Devontae Adams lined up in the slot on the left side, so that's good. But the Patriots are going to bring pressure, and they're showing blitz right from the start. And the entire the entire play design seems to be to get people downfield, like 15, 20 yards downfield. You only need four yards, and if you don't get four yards in this play, there's no coming back on the next play because it's fourth down. And Rodgers ends up just having to throw the ball up, trying to get it to somebody, when he really never should have had to do that. It just seems like you should call a play designed to get four yards when you absolutely have to have four yards. And then the icing on this very unfortunate cake, the Packers on what turns out to be the Patriots' final drive, call a timeout to stop the clock, and then after the timeout, end up with 12 men on the field. I don't even know how that's possible. I would be apoplectic if I was coaching a junior high football team and that happened after I called a timeout. How in professional football do you end up with 12 guys on the field after you called a timeout? And presumably everybody's getting together and you want to talk things over. How does that happen? That is game management 101, and that is... If you're looking for evidence of things to dislike about Mike McCarthy, there is a big one for you. The bottom line on this, I think this sort of game shows exactly why this team, we should have considered this team a little bit further away at the start of the year than I think was the common perception. Yes, I know when you have Aaron Rodgers, you are almost always a contender. 
Uh, probably always a contender. At least in the conversation. You should at least be able to pencil yourself in for a spot in the playoffs. That doesn't mean you have a good team. And I think Brian Gutekunst knows or knew at the start of the season that he didn't have a great team. That this rebuild, let's call it a retooling. This retooling process was going to take a little bit longer. I kind of think the perception in Green Bay was that whatever they got out of this year was going to be a bonus. Because they weren't they weren't built to be a slug it out with high caliber teams in January type of roster. Depth tends to show up late in games. And if you're a team that is good and deep, you can outlast teams that aren't as deep. Nine times out of ten. And that's what the Patriots did. They just waited until the, the Packers kind of played themselves out. And they took advantage. They knocked them out once the Packers started to get weak on their feet. The Packers just lost their ability to counterpunch in this one, and the Patriots never did because they are a deep and good team. Let's talk through some of the random stuff from this game and uh, then get out of here. Uh, Aaron Jones got more usage in this one, and I think that's what we expected in the wake of Ty Montgomery's departure. But he had five touches on the first drive of the game and then just then ended up with just 18 touches plus targets total. So they threw it to him four times, and he carried 14 times in the game. Almost a third of his work came in the first drive. That's a little disappointing. Uh, Chris Collinsworth called a bubble screen type thing that the Packers ran on their first drive, a quote-unquote new age Packers sweep. I thought that was both accurate and interesting and probably the best thing he had to say all night. Because I am not a fan of Chris Collinsworth generally, but I thought he was especially bad tonight. To me, Chris Collinsworth generally sounds like he has been overserved by about one and a half drinks. That's where about he he lives volume wise, and it, it just just quiet down just a little bit. That is the most old man announcer take that I have. But just quiet down, just dial it back just a little bit. But then he makes basic basic mistakes. For instance, this is one of my ultimate pet peeves in announcing. When a receiver lines up on one side of a formation and comes around and takes a a direct handoff from the quarterback, what is that play called? It is called an end around. If you hand a ball to a running back going one direction and then he hands it to another player going the opposite direction, that is a reverse because you are reversing the field. Chris Collinsworth had the opportunity to call two end-arounds, but he called both of them reverses. This is basic stuff. This is football, not 101, probably 102, because that's not a play you see every day. But this is the sort of thing that a guy who calls football games for a living should be getting right. And then you just have kind of a galling amount of gushing for guys on both sides. It gets a little bit sickening, even if he's talking about your players. Okay, tone it down, Chris. You thought... John Gruden was, hey, this guy, positive. He doesn't hold a candle to Collinsworth. Maybe the Raiders will give him $100 million to coach next year, and he'll go away too. Don't count it out. Uh, moving on. Uh, I thought it was interesting in this game how you could really hear Corey Lindley mic'd up. Um, you really got a sense for how 
much activity goes on on the line. And it was interesting to hear the line calls because that's part of the game we really don't get to encounter a whole lot. So I thought that was really bit, really interesting. On the offensive line, Brian Bulaga getting hurt could be a big deal. Uh, it's a shame that it happened in this game because it was almost exactly a year ago that he tore his ACL and seeing him come back and play very well, I think, has been one of the best stories of the year for the Packers. It would have been, it'd be just that extra twist to the knife if what injury he has turns out to be a bigger deal um, after tonight. That was, that was a bummer. Thought it was interesting that the guy who forced the fumble on Aaron Jones was none other than former Packers defensive lineman Lawrence Guy, a 2011 seventh round pick. That's, uh, that's playing the long game for the Patriots, right? Boy, Lawrence Guy carved out a heck of a career as a seventh-round pick. Um, Let's talk a second about the ejection on Jermaine Whitehead. On the substance of the call, just in a vacuum, I can see kind of why he got ejected. It's never a good look to be swinging at a guy's face, and there probably isn't a lot the refs can do in terms of leeway if you just look at that. But... If you look at the overall situation there, I mean, the 5-10 second snippet that they kept showing on the broadcast made it pretty clear that Whitehead was responding to something that was being done to him. And if you're the sort of person who's inclined to think that the Patriots get some home cooking, I mean, what more evidence do you need? This, this was clearly the second guy getting caught, but not just flagged, getting ejected for an open hand slap. Uh, and of course, Chris Collinsworth stands up for the Patriots guy who clearly instigated the entire thing. Dumb. Very dumb. Speaking of dumb, the salute to service gear invasion has started. Uh, it just looks gross. Um, the camo stuff always looks dirty and grimy. And th- is this really the best way to honor the troops? Ugh. Just not great. Uniform stuff. Patriots went with their color rush uniforms tonight. Uh, they're blue over blue alternates. And they're not just alternates. They're actually an entirely different uniform design. They've got the three stripes on the shoulders and the, the, the stripes down the side. I think I like them better than their normal uniforms, but that's not saying a whole lot because the Patriots kind of have the blandest uniforms, I think, or one of the blandest uniforms around, just kind of boring. They've been in need of an update for a long, long time. But They've had so much success in that look, there's really not any reason to change it either. So you're kind of just left wishing for a new uniform set. I think there's so much they they could do, but <laughs> we're just stuck with, with these. Uh, the Color Rush uniforms, if they if they went with the, the, the uniform tops, because color over cover, color never looks good, I don't think. It makes you look like a Division Three team. But if they went with the, the blue uniforms that they wore tonight and like white pants or something, that would be a step in the right direction. I'd go for that. Uh, let's talk Bashad Breeland for a second. Um, like I said earlier, he looks again like a guy who hasn't played football in a long time, but I think I still prefer him out there to Tony Brown. He just looks like a guy who knows where he's supposed to be, and I think he'll figure it out. I, I don't know if he'll figure it out in time for it to make any difference for the Packers, just the way their record is, but you know, it, it's been it was good to see him out there and Seeing him deflect that pass off of his head was kind of hilarious. Uh, what a goal line stand that was, too. That was pretty cool. I was certain, certain when that pass fell incomplete in the end zone after Breland had it go off the back of his noggin. 
uh, that they were going to throw a flag. And I thought I saw a flash of yellow at the bottom of the screen, but turned out to be something else. Maybe just like a, secu- a security guy or something in a yellow jacket. But oh, I was worried there for a second. Um, that was that was a cool moment. Um, and it was interesting to see Breland back on kickoff returns. Uh, I didn't know that was kind of part of his game. Um, and it really, really wasn't. It wasn't like he was setting the world on fire back there. But I did notice that whenever there was a kick that he wasn't going to return, he just let it bounce into the end zone. Instant dead ball there. Uh, don't have to worry about catching it at all. Don't have to mishandle it on a, on a kick you're not going to return anyway. Uh, just have, saves everybody a lot of trouble. Um, something unusual broadcast-wise that happened, as I give you one last point here before we transition towards the end of the show, uh, the Sunday Night Football crew used one song twice for those little Collinsworth talkers where he breaks down a play a little bit more extended. It was the song No Roots by an artist named Alice Merton, twice in one broadcast. That was a little bit unusual. Usually they, uh, they're pretty diverse with their musical selection. Uh, surprising to hear that, and I only recognize it because it's one of my wife's favorite songs. So... Um, it's a good song. should check that out. What happens next for the Packers? Well, tonight was the first game in a stretch where the Packers are going to play three games in 12 days. Next week, they are, are home against Miami, 425 kickoff, their first home game in a long stretch here. And then off to Seattle for Thursday night football, then to Monday night, or then to Minnesota, excuse me, for Monday night football. And I wonder if that could be a potential flex game. Um, if the Packers end up uh, continuing their uh, their spiral here. And uh, just wonder if that's the sort of game that NBC might want to attract a, a little bit more <sighs> impactful game, I guess, for that one. That's disappointing that we even have to talk about that. And I don't even know if um, I want to prognosticate that far in the future, but if things don't get turned around here in a hurry in Green Bay, that game may not mean a whole lot. Uh, will it get turned around? Well, we're going to start finding out this week. I'll be interested to see the perception from a lot of people, especially when we do our polls on Wednesday. Be sure to check in at uh, twitter.com slash thepowersweep for our Wednesday midday poll, um, and we'll get everybody's feelings on how we're feeling about the Packers for this week. For right now, the Packers fall 31-17 to to the New England Patriots. I'm going to go get some sleep because the uh, alarm clock goes off in five hours and 24 minutes. Not bad. Um, Hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed recording it. It's fun. It is fun to do this, even when we're we're staying up late in the middle of the night. It's a it's a fun excuse to talk Packers football, and even at a loss, I hope we can have fun doing that. I did. Hope you did as well. Uh, we'll see you throughout the week at thepowersweep.com and right here on Blue Fifty Eight. Thank you so much for listening to episode one twenty two. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you around. Go back. Go. Blue Fifty Eight.